Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Welcome back, everyone. Season three of the Know Your Know Their Story. Man, you guys know our story. We'll tell anyone uh, the Know Their Story podcast. Uh, welcome to my co-host, as always, Senior Dustin Sweet. Howdy, Dave. Nice to see you. Yeah, and uh, nice to hear for our audio listeners. Uh, got a, a very very good episode coming up today. A, a special connection to to someone we've talked to before for the fans of the movie, someone you've heard of before, although he doesn't uh, talk a whole ton. (laughs) Um, But today's guest was a combat medic in the U.S. Army, served in the 93rd and 24th Evacuation Hospital out of Long Bin in uh, Vietnam, October of 1970 to uh, November of 1971, got his discharge on November 11th, Veterans Day, uh, the reason um, I say that uh, there's a connection is he grew up and worked with uh, Dwayne Blower uh, from season one and also in our documentary. Dwayne got drunk one night and volunteered for the draft, something he regretted when he sobered up. But then a little while later, Jim was also drafted into the war. They overlapped and then came back to Wisconsin to work together again. But uh Welcome, and Jim, I'm totally regretting I didn't ask how to pronounce your last name, and so I'm going to see if I don't murder it. Let me let me try it first, and then everyone can laugh at me, uh, but Jim Betthauser? That's pretty close. Betthauser? Yep. Silent I But I answered it just about everything. Yeah, well, uh, my... My last name is Merlino, Marlino. Uh, growing up in the 80s, Dave Merlino, when a guy named Dan Marino was quarterback, oh, yeah. I, I also answered Dan. Even <laughs> So hit it close and I'll answer. Um, Jim, so thank, you, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, glad to have you on. And, and this Seattle Seahawks fan will we'll go ahead and ignore the Green Bay fact, Packers. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, there, there's been a lot of text messages back and forth between Dwayne and I over the yeah, years. I'm sure. <laughs> so, but Dustin, the ceremonial asker of the first question. Oh man, this, we're gonna we're gonna get it started just like that. All right. Well, Jim, uh, ceremonially, the first question is always, how did you find yourself in the American Armed Forces? Which I secretly kind of answered already. My fault, but we'll pretend I didn't do that. Yeah. Well, I was. Uh... I was lucky to be a member of the first uh, first draft lottery. And I think it was the end, end of November, first part of December of 69. Uh, um, my, the number drawn, my birth date drawn was 90th. Thought, well, that's pretty, pretty high number or pretty low number really. But then my alphabet, my last name starting with a B was drawn 26th. So I thought, well, oh, I'm in good shape. Yeah, right. So anyway, I was drafted in left Wisconsin on the 24th of March, 1970. Shortly after Dwayne became a movie star, matter of fact. Uh, so I mean, that's how I ended up in the army. Did you, um, did you sign up for uh, the medical corps or did you, uh, did you just- No, I was, I was drafted, uh, yeah. went through basic training and then no leave. And they shipped me right to Fort Sam Houston, Texas for uh, combat medic training. And within a week there, I had orders for Vietnam. So then they had to teach me what they were gonna use me for over there. So uh, went through a 10 week course home with orders from Vietnam and they all through training they were telling us we had like a three second uh, life expectancy something like that as a medic and I thought well that's not real cool but uh, I had friends that got from 
from basic training that actually he was a friend from Wisconsin as well. He was going to be a, a truck driver. He was going to Alaska to drive truck, and they gave him a 15-day leave after basic training. So we, uh, we set up kind of a plan that being we were only we hadn't had any leave and we were only going to live for three seconds once we got there we would take a little extra time going so i was supposed to report to oakland i think first right around the end of august and we had it set up that we were going to take 29 days leave i had a 15 day leave we we're going to take 29 days just one day short of being a deserter, I guess. That's what everybody told us anyway. So I got there. Um, this is the long story I was telling you about. Yeah. I got there on the 29th day and I had Captain so-and-so as a, whatever he was, went into my first first formation. He, he's a bedhouser, let me, private bedhouser, let me see you. So I stepped out and he goes, no, nah, you're not the one I'm thinking about. Anyway, they restricted me to Oakland Army Base for uh, 60 days or until I got manifested, busted back to P PV-1. And oh, and he said, go and see uh, Major so-and-so for a field, field grade Article 15. So I did that and I was busted. Swept the playgrounds a lot at Oakland. I was there for eight days. I pulled KP three times. Uh, Everybody else went to Oakland A game and I couldn't go, of course. But anyway, uh, make a long story short, then the next day, a friend of mine, there was three of us, Bethauser, Bridgers, Bridgers and Barnett were close for 10 weeks, right? Yes, As you can imagine, the way the army goes with the alphabet, you know, we were together no matter where we went. So Bennett, Bennett comes in the next, the 30th day, he got the article 15, or he got the company commander that was a captain and got his article 15. So he was only restricted, he got fined $29. I got fined 130, I think I said. Anyway, I've never found him again, but I did find Barnett in 1980, 1990, I was at the wall and Bridgers happened, I said Barnett, but Bridgers happened to be, his name's on the wall. So I thought, well, that was, I, my going back 29 days late might've saved my life because by the way, he went back in time. He was he went back on the 12th of September and he was killed on the, about a month later. And so I probably would have been a medic in his platoon. Who knows? Yeah, but, that's, that's hard to say how, how fate goes with yeah. stuff like that. But so you show up late, they're yelling at you and you're like, what are you gonna do? Send me to Vietnam? And they say, yeah. no, we're, we're, we're confining you here in America for 60 days. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's no. what, what are you gonna do? Send me to Vietnam? And yeah. the paper says that's where I'm going, so. Yeah, like, the no. Sad part, the sad part about that was, was I missed my uncle's funeral because by the time I finally left Wisconsin, I had a plane ticket that had all these little date change things stapled onto it. And my mom, I was staying in Madison. My mom didn't know that I was there. She thought I was in Oakland waiting for my plane oh, ride to Vietnam. My uncle died in the meantime. I couldn't come home to the funeral because I wasn't there. But. Uh, oh, that's too bad. That was a funny, funny thing. How'd you end up? Uh, how'd you up End up outside of Saigon. I think I just left, lost my video. How do I? Oh, we can okay. see you. Oh, there you go. You, uh, it might be set to speaker view. Yep. If somebody else is talking, it might. Well, actually, what one? Did you have any? Had you shown any signs of of combat medic, or did they just like look around and point no. to you? Like, what was your feeling when they told you you were going to be a medic? I mean, I, thought, I know. I know if they told me that, I'd be like, "I'm gonna be in charge of saving people." Like, yeah, it kind of looked like that because, I mean, I was an equipment operator at the ammunition plant where Dwayne and I worked. Um, 
I mean, well, you know, Dwayne was a truck driver and he ended up as a gunner. So they pretty much, they told you where you were going to go. A lot of, a lot of uh, medics came out of Wisconsin from what I understand. I don't know why, if that's what they use for one of their criteria. I don't know, but I didn't know the first thing about being a medic. <laughs> I mean, I know if you're working on me, I'd say, man, I'm sure glad you were picked for your uh, ability to uh, to save my gunshot wound because you grew up uh, in the north. Well, yeah, you know, deer hunting and everything. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. So, did you? It's hard to say. Did you like that? But I mean, is it something that you kind of grooved with, or, or? I didn't have much choice, really. I mean, I wasn't going to go to Canada. I was going to try to do what they train me to do yeah i mean i yeah so i'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead then then because we haven't really gotten to getting to vietnam yet but along that line yeah. the first time as a medic when you're out in the field and and you're you know having to to put uh you know put your hands on and, and help someone is that uh something that you remember that first time or, or what no, was that, that like that's another part of uh, the story that I never ended up in the field. Okay, that's right. You went in the hospital. Yeah. My, uh, I mean, I'll tell you the story of that now if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, that's what we're here for. I was at uh, Manny's replacement for two or three days, and then they, about four o'clock, four, 4.45, uh, the afternoon formation, they told me I was going to the 9030 VAC hospital. And I thought, oh shit, where the hell is that? They sent me over to 222nd personnel and they said, well, I thought I was going to get a ride to my unit. They said, well, you can just walk up there. It's right up the hill. So the 9030 VAC was up, up the hill. The place was uh, just Quonset huts and it's a semi-mobile army surgical hospital, kind of, sort of, like a mash, but it was a smash. Right. Uh, I couldn't process in because it was the end of the day, so they put me in the, the hooch that was for the transient guys, and the guard duty was in there. So sitting around chewing the fat, and the guy, you know, everybody, where are you from and all that? And I said, I'm from Wisconsin. This one says, where? I said, Boston. And he goes, oh, really? He said, you mean Bethauser? said, do you know a Stubbs Bethauser? And I kind of chuckled. I said, well, yeah, I had a sister that they called her, called her Stubbs in high school. Turns out that this guy went, dated her roommate in college in 1968. He was from down by Milwaukee. And he was a clerk. Well, the 9030 VAC was going to be, oh, that was another thing that told you you would be assigned six months out of your year's tour. Six months would be in a, in a hospital unit, six months in the field. My first was going to be in a hospital. So then he asked me if I could type, and I said, yeah, 85 words a minute. Well, the 9030 VAC was getting ready to shut down and go home. So they needed help typing up orders and closing the place. I said, all right. So they didn't use me as a corpsman at all there. So I was there from October, like I said, until March of 71. Then I transferred to the other 24th evac that was also on post. Wow. And they didn't need any more corpsmen. And since I had been doing personnel work, they made me the Purple Hearts clerk. So, wow. so I never worked as a corpsman at all. And I, I was kind of glad about that because after the first six months, I wasn't sure if I could do what it, I mean, it's like riding a bike, they said, it would all come back to you, but. Right. You know. Yeah, but those first couple of rides are always a little janky, you know. Right. I mean, uh, we, uh, I, every, Every casualty that came into the hospital, I had to go and visit every every night. The A and D report would come in, and 
There wasn't anything that I didn't see. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, that's, I know. That stick with you for a long time? Yeah, quite a bit. Not, not too bad. I mean, I think probably the fool I was drunk the first couple months, maybe. Well, and I know, you know, we've talked to Craig Jorgensen, who was shot in the field famously in front of CBS News cameras. But he said that the hospital to him was way scarier than being in combat. Um, in combat, you, you know, out in the field, you, you obviously do see it. But in a hospital, you see it every day, all day. Um, and, you know, he'd look around and say, well, I've shot in the hip, but it's way better than some of these guys in here. Yeah, there was some pretty messed up dudes. Yeah. Um, although I was thinking about, uh, have you seen Black Hawk Down? No. Uh, well, Ewan McGregor's character in that is um, checking everyone in. He's checking in the the guys who had just arrived and they're like, how did you get this job? And he said, well, I um, I haven't been out in the field because I have a very unique skill set that is very desirable to the army. And he said, what's that? And he said, I can type. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, who knows what would happen if I couldn't type? Nope. Oh. So, again, take thank your high school teachers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, Mr. Sorrell never liked me, but I sure liked her. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was going through a lot of my dad's stuff. Uh, he, he passed away about 10 years ago. And I kind of, when we moved, we moved over the summer and I was like, all right, time to, time to clean out the closet. Mm. And I found a lot of his stuff from basic training and part of it was typing. And I, and I was looking at that and I thought, well, no way dad was a clerk. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, he's like, I'm, I'm down to only like 10 mistakes per page. <laughs> home. So, um, but I, I did skip ahead. I promise I'd come back arriving in country. Vietnam has a bit of a different climate than Wisconsin does. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. Stepping off the plane. Was that like, what have I got in my, like, what's that like? I mean, you know, you're going. You're obviously on the plane, but when does it become real to you? I think about the time that we walked out the door. Uh, it's kind of the heat just kind of envelopes you, and, and the smell is the smell of Nook Mom, and the heat was it's, pretty evident. I was somewhere that wasn't real nice. Wasn't a vacation no. spot by any means. And is that it's it's hard to say you get used to that heat, but you know, how how do you acclimatize yourself to that? You're in a, a foreign country, obviously not under ideal travel circumstances. Um, like how how does the human mind and body adapt for that? You know, I can't even remember how what the next day was like. Um you know, like I said, we went to the 90th replacement and plus time to hit the ground running. Yeah. Dustin, I, I cut you off earlier. Dude. Yeah, I was just I was just wondering what um what your day was like if you're in the um as you were serving for the um Purple Heart. Uh how do you how did you structure your day? Because I imagine that I imagine there's paperwork so you're running kind of behind uh what i call hospital time which is like you know uh everybody being really concerned with saving lives and and that timing i feel like you're probably like a week behind that so as people are recovering you're you're trying to keep up with that paperwork and it it comes in from from somebody else and then you process it right um yeah the the uh well when i was at the 93rd basically i just sat behind the desk and typed whatever they had to get typed to get out to get out of there so that was till march um <clears throat> purple hearts clerk was my main job at the 24th so like i mentioned the a and d report would come down every morning with a list of casualties that had come in the night before uh name rank serial number 
if they had been, no, I guess the, the name rank serial number is about all that it had. So then I had to go and talk to each one. Um, most of them were all, I mean, they would be cleaned up sure. as much as possible. If they had surgery, I wouldn't get to them until after they had that. Uh, I had to verify that their social security number, name rank, social security number were all, all matched. Um, if they had a Purple Heart or not in the past, so that they would get a cluster rather than a first Purple Heart. And then I would come back and type up orders, giving them the Purple Heart, and they went on to Washington or somewhere, usury headquarters, I guess, and from there to Washington. And then they would, I mean, I, I never gave them the actual medal or anything. Right. No, no. Yeah, it wasn't like today where you send an email and someone gets it five seconds later. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it probably would take a week or two before uh, before the paperwork got back. Uh, the only one that was quick was I remember a, a warrant officer's chopper was shot down over VC Island. And when I saw him, he was on the burn ward. And that that's the one that still sticks to me on one of them striker frames that they can turn every which way but loose and he was his head was like swelled up a lot like that just one big mass of scars and by the time i got back to my desk probably 45 minutes i had had already gotten a message that so and so you won't need to cut orders for him he'll be awarded posthumously so that that one sticks still sticks with me yeah, that, and that's the thing about, you know, we like I, I talked about with Craig saying the, the hospital and you talk about nurses and, and that's kind of what we're trying to say with this podcast too, is we talk to a lot of people and like, hey, would you like to be on the show? And they'll say, oh, well, I wasn't infantry. Like, well, yeah, but you were deployed. You obviously saw things. Nurses weren't in the field as this, in Vietnam, especially, but man, they saw things. And that's, yeah. you know, all those stories should be told and for our audience should be heard. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. And that's what we're trying to highlight here. It's not just infantry out in the field, you know, being deployed has like, like you said, meeting, meeting that pilot for, what in the grand scheme of your life five minutes six minutes five, seven minutes five minutes at the most yeah and you still think about it 50 years later uh, 52 now yeah. like that is that is something that we want to get across to people um of, of what that is like um but yeah, yeah for a long time the nurses didn't get the credit even even from soldiers that were there right. um of course, I think a lot of that wasn't the fact that they weren't respected by the soldiers that were were there, as well as um, the, the soldier not wanting to talk about anything that was going on. I know after I moved to DC and then my first trip back to Wisconsin, there was a guy on there. We got talking and he well, he was coming home from Veterans Day. And he was talking about the nurses. He said, ah, oh, they didn't serve in Vietnam or they didn't, they didn't serve in battle. And I said, well, the way I look at it is if there was, wasn't for those nurses, there'd be a lot more than 58,000 names on that wall. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, and also, you, you know, if we're, if we're looking at it from that respect, you know, depending on, on what unit you're in, like for the guys of Apache troop, they were, they saw battle sometimes multiple times a day because the helicopter would take them right to it. Mm -hmm. But say you're serving in a unit that would go out in the field for 30 days. Um, you know, you probably didn't see combat every day of that 30 days. Right. Um, you may see it once or twice or, you know, maybe not at all for, for a specific time for a walkabout. A nurse saw the aftermath of that combat every single day. Yeah. Every single day someone was coming in. Um and that I think does, and like you said, it's they're they're getting the respect now, but that can't be driven home more. Um, on, on a 
on a to lighten it up a little i just kind of thought of this i saw a thing yesterday talking about um for the, for the audience, if they don't know what pog means, pog means people other than grunts. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of the infantry likes, you know, if you're not out in the field, you're called a pog, a people, person other than grunt. Uh, someone posted yesterday to everyone I referred to as a pog when I was in the military. I apologize after watching Russia uh, run out of food and, and gas 48 hours into an invasion of a country right next door to them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of logistics that go into making an army move. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, Vietnam was kind of strange. I mean, it was like they were having no, well, not strange, <clears throat> no front front lines to speak of. I mean, they could drop a rocket anywhere. Um, that ninety-three placement where before you go in, <clears throat> when you first get in country, you know. They, all through training, basic training and stuff, they had us dispersing. I don't know how many times we duck walked, duck walked around the rifle range because we were it was raining and we all got together under our ponchos, you know. But got to Vietnam and here they bring us out the same time every day in the same spot to tell us where we're going to go. So I was there and uh, well before we closed down in March, we we took a a patient in that. They had dropped a rocket in the middle of the formation, the morning formation. We had a dispensary there, and one of our lab techs was walking to the shower. And he didn't get killed, but he got blown up pretty good. But the, the one guy they said that died, he was in country for 14 hours. He was from California. And I always said, can you imagine being the guy that has to go to his mother and tell she doesn't know for sure he's there yet? and they're telling her he's gone um but then the, the happy ending on that one is i met the guy i thought he was dead but i met him two years ago in dc he's he uh i think it was a, a corpsman that was driving the ambulance hauling him to he had some kind of a chest injury hauling him to the 24th evac hospital and the guy said that's too far away. I can't, you, you'll die before we get there. I got to take you to the 93rd. So we were already closing down, but they brought him to the 93rd and, and they, they saved him. But uh, I mean, I, well, the reason I brought that up is because no matter where you were, you had the chance. I mean, nobody was right. in front of you with a rifle aiming at you, but they could yeah. get you if they wanted you. Especially if you go to the same spot every day at the same time. <laughs> so, how did um, how did rotating home work for you? Did you just your orders were cut and you went you went and showed up at the plane and went home or yeah? Like? Uh, went back to the ninety three orders were cut orders went back to the ninety three placement and I think I was there for a day and got on a bus went to Tonsonut got on a plane and headed for Oakland. And uh, Oakland, any, uh, any um, how would I put it, any problems coming no. through Oakland? <laughs> I didn't get spit at or anything. Um, and I, I, a lot of my, my friends did. I don't know, maybe I didn't say the right thing or something. I don't know, but we, uh, I wasn't in uniform because my uncle lived in Walnut Creek, and I went to his place for a cookout and, of course, changed clothes out of my uniform. And I think I flew home in civilian clothes, and that's why I didn't get any grief, because San Francisco Airport, they would, they would get on you. Yeah, as, as we talk to more veterans, depending on... You know, if they flew through Oakland or if they flew through Texas, the uh, the greetings were vastly different. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> so yeah, I think that that was the main reason because I, I I don't remember for sure if I put my uniform back on, but I I don't think I did. And flew from there to Chicago and in Chicago to home. So this is what three days out from four days out from Vietnam, you're back in the states. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I left Vietnam on the tenth and got to got to Oakland. Actually, I I think I got to Oakland probably the morning of the eleventh. Got discharged, and then it was within twenty four hours. I was I was home. And we know the answer to this from having talked to different guys, but for our audience, um, how much wonderful uh, kind of help and, and counseling and out processing did the US Army give you uh, when you got back? None. Thanks for your service. Nothing. Yep, <laughs> that's about it. Yep. No, here's a number for someone you can talk to on Wisconsin when you get home. None of that. I think I might have had a piece of paper. I'm a, a volunteer at the new National Army Museum here, and we're doing a special uh, creating an artifact. There was 12 of us were chosen to to make an artifact and a soldier's story pile on. So I was going through some of the stuff that I had brought back, and I think I might have seen ran across something that said to your parents, or maybe I maybe it was in a letter to home that I read telling mom that she would be getting something from the army saying I was okay and whatever but that I don't remember what it was uh, so just how long how long after you got home till you were going back to work I had I think like 90 days they had to hold my job for I think is what it was and I got home on the probably like the 12th of November, I went back to work in February. Nice. 89 days later? Yeah, something like that. I, I don't know if I was even in good shape when I went back to work, but I had to get back there. That was probably when, I mean, I know now that probably I should have gone and talk to somebody about PTSD at that time. But like I told you, Dwayne and I hadn't talked about anything about our service for years. Well, and you, you ended up working with Dwayne again when he got home, right? Because yeah, until like 1975, I think, is when the ammunition plants shut down. And then, wow. of course, we'd drink and play ball and different things. Sure. Well, he played ball. I was the umpire and I drank. That's uh, those are important parts. That's yeah. Those are those are equal parts to 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 playing ball. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I, I played and coached uh, when I was with Customs. We had a team. Um, you know, just a we. It was hard because we all work shift work, and we could never actually bring our full team to bear. Uh -huh. um, so we just kind of were in it for the the fun. Um, but every year there's a federal law enforcement softball tournament for charity. Unfortunately, there are some agencies that take the spirit of competition a bit more seriously than others do. Oh, yeah. And bring in ringers, one agency, FBI, uh, for their co-ed aspect, brought in the University of Arizona softball team. Um, <laughs> yeah, and which is fine, but then... They're also, I'll say it, they're complete dicks about it, like arguing the most minute of rules. It's like, dude, it's 27 to two, like calm what down. And of course, I have a fiery personality. <laughs> and so I would start arguing with them. And I remember one tournament, I just hear, Dave, that's my wife. And she's <laughs> like, sit down. And I look at the bench and my chief is sitting there just laughing and he pats the bench right next to him. I go sit down and he's like, I need to figure out how she gets you to shut up so I can do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we kind of took the tact that uh, we had like a, eight, a three hour break between games once. And so we all went and got oh, yeah. all sauced up, hammered. Man, we never played ball better. <laughs> so yeah, but we did beat the FBI the next year and they got all pissed off and left the tournament. It was great. So. That, was that out here uh that was in uh uh seattle um, okay. for the western washington agencies i i was with customs in seattle um i i have now left seattle for for greener pastures <laughs> my my wife was with the fbi out here for 40 42 years 
Well, I'm sure she was one of the nice ones. <laughs> yeah, she probably wasn't on the team. That's why I asked you're here. I don't think she was on the team. Maybe, maybe they played here. Well, did she play uh, softball for the University of Arizona? <laughs> no. <laughs> that she didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you, you meet your wife? Were you, did you already know her when you went to Vietnam, or did you meet her after you came home? No. my <clears throat> The girl that I was dating when I went to Vietnam met me in Chicago when I came back. And we only dated for a little while after that. And then like 18 years later, I was going through a divorce in Wisconsin and her aunt, she lived out here. Her aunt lived down the street from me and I got a phone call from her. And then we got talking, that's when I found out she was out here. I was, I had lost my hand and I was going through a divorce, like I said, and I didn't have a job. I just, after I got my hand hurt in an industrial accident, they sent me back to, to school and I got an accounting and data processing degree. She goes, well, why don't you come and visit me? So we got, basically she got, we got back together. And then we decided we were better friends than lovers and, but I was already here. So and then that's where I met my wife. We've nice. been married, it'll be just about 30 years. So it all, uh, a long winding journey, but yeah, kind of in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> so um you you brought up an interesting point and that was you knew Dwayne mm -hmm. before Dwayne goes off to Vietnam you go off to Vietnam you come back obviously you you've got a you know a connection with this other veteran that's closer than most you both know you're in country and still you didn't really talk about it right uh, you mentioned you didn't quite learn about it until Dwayne became a movie star. Yeah, about, it was about three years ago or so. So it was about nineteen, about twenty nineteen, I think, is when when I got the call from him. I know that I was on the screen porch, so it would have been in the summer or fall. Yeah. That fall in about the timeline when you guys were starting with your. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, we uh. We, we've we've done a couple trips as we follow up year over year with them, which is mm -hmm. why the movie's taken on. You know, we <laughs> when we started the movie, I remember telling our entertainment attorney, "I'm like, Dude, we're gonna have this done in six months, no problem, yeah. no problem." We come from the scripted side; we've already got this done, and she just laughed at us. She laughed at us. Laughed. <laughs> She's like, "Documentaries take years." I'm like, "Nope, we've got it. We're gonna break the wheel. We know what we're doing." couple of years in she's like so how'd that wheel breaking go or <laughs> did it roll over you like everyone else before you um but but that is the thing is we thought you know the movie we have now is not the movie that we thought we were making when we started out and Dwayne's actually one of you know after we're done with Dwayne's interview we turned off the camera and we just saw this like yeah. you could see it and unfortunately you can't record that because that never happens until after the interview was over and we saw it a couple more times and we said you know there's there's something to this you know yeah. there, mm -hmm. there, there's something going on here and you know guys would be like oh god that feels great to finally talk I'm gonna talk to my kids now and we figured you know it's really easy to say that day when you're when you're high on this this euphoria of having done this I'm like what you know, will that hold, which is why we decided to shut down for a year and follow up a year later. And then we followed up again. And yes, there, there is a lot to talking. Um, but 2019 was one of the follow-up trips that we had done when we were filming. Um, then we thought the movie was done and then turned out there was some other stuff to film. Yeah. It's well, been a fun have that screening. When was the screening in uh, Seattle? Uh, the screening in Seattle was two years ago now. Because uh, yeah, then, then we did one down in um, San Clemente uh, a little bit after that. And we thought we were going to do more. And we flew home from San Clemente to two weeks to flatten the curve two years ago. So we haven't done that, any more. <laughs> one, of my, one of my buddies is out and uh, lives in uh, in Seattle. 
Okay. And he went to the one at Boeing. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, he thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it awesome. was it was a fun really, day. It was yeah. a really cool experience. That, that's such a lovely theater. That's such a fun place to be in. So we were the ones in the back totally nervous because that was the first public showing we'd ever done. Uh, yeah. totally public. We did screen it for the veterans at the Apache Troop reunion. We're like, you know, if anyone's gonna Blaine, see it first. As these Blaine guys and those guys were out there for that, right? Yes, yeah. most of them yeah. did make it out for that. Um, so we got to surprise the audience by introducing them as well. Um, so yeah, that was a, yeah, I was, was I a was good trying to, I was trying to surprise Dwayne by telling Ken to go over there and go up and say something that only he and I would know. And I can't remember what, what it was, but he, he didn't get to talk to him. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Dwayne, Dwayne's a big movie star now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, demands on his time. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to ask him for his autograph. I'm going home in June, so I'll I'll see him. And Let's see if we can get like a screenshot picture or something. You can have him autograph his picture. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Jim, um, what parts? I have questions about about rotating back to like to being a regular guy like the last fifty years post Vietnam. How how much of your I mean, you said you went back to work at the um, you went back to work at the munitions factory. Did did clerical work come back to you in in life? Did you end up using those skills again, or or? What? Um, well, yeah, kind of, sort of. I went back there until seventy five. I was like I said, I was an equipment operator. Then. Then I got the job. I was a die cutter, and that was my accident. Was at the cream factory. Um, I die cut my fingers off, and so then I had to switch to something, doing something else. So I went to school for accounting and data processing. Like I said, I <clears throat> couldn't get a job back in Wisconsin, and I moved out here, and I was looking for a job in computers but they were kind of hard to get a hold of. So I got into accounting and I, I worked for the national, I worked for a couple of smaller ad agencies and junk mail businesses and stuff. And then I became a staff accountant at the National Electrical Manufacturers Association. Cool. Then I was the accounting manager there. And that's, that's when I, I retired from there. So I suppose, you know, the fact, not really clerical, but kind of, right. sort of it was office right. work anyway. Well, the, yeah, having, having, having experience in office work, it's always so interesting yep. to me when, when, you know, uh, I, I made the jump from blue collar to white collar one time for a summer and I worked in that agency and it, uh, uh, I didn't, I, I made a lot of social faux pas in the office life uh just just based on not understanding the dynamics of how office work works that took me a while to catch up to that yeah my preference would have been to do some work outside i mean i didn't really like yeah. being inside it all the time but yeah my wife who was an accountant i was working um I worked at the seaport for a while and you know she would kind of laugh at me when i'd have to go out there as a supervisor out there and you know it's pouring down rain in february in seattle uh, at night and she's like oh man isn't that terrible i'm like well it's not my favorite thing but i would rather for me i would rather be outside on a rainy day than stuck in your office on a sunny day yeah. <laughs> so yeah and we we agreed to disagree she <laughs> <laughs> she liked the roof over her head so i'll um you, you said you worked for a munitions factory yeah in wisconsin we worked at a badger army ammunition plant all right i want to and stop me if i go wrong at any point here um or or if i'm off base but a lot of times we'll ask a question of you know here you are deployed um you know, one of our guys is like, I was in charge of a whole platoon of people and suddenly I'm working an office job thinking, why is this important? Like in terms of, of rotating back in, 
for you having worked in a field hospital and seeing what happens at war and now you're on the other side of it making munitions for war was there any any like was that a weird feeling for you did you ever kind of cross-reference those things or no i don't really think so um no not not that i can recall it all right just wanted to to see on that but um that that was something that came into my mind yeah uh, I, I can see why like i probably should have protested working there because because what they were actually i was i worked in uh i don't even remember what the there's more maintenance than anything else unloading supplies and different things like that <clears throat> um maybe i would have felt different if i was in the actual process of making the sure bullets and ammunition yep. um and then actually i have one other question too i'll, I'll switch gears to, to to something happier i saw a facebook post at one point you were talking to Dwayne, asking him to create a page for the museum that you're working on uh your museum has a project and i i i'm going from memory of this post but um is the the museum for anyone who served in the army can create a page for themselves or or um um yeah i'm trying to remember what that conversation was but no i can't remember what what i was asking him about but <clears throat> no it's not a let me uh, uh i'm uh seeing if i can bring it up maybe i am just crazy uh would not be the first time i've been accused of that <laughs> be the first time this week <laughs> yeah Booking into Mardi Gras, not knowing that was Mardi Gras, might have been uh, one of those crazy moments. Did you guys, you guys flew there, yeah? Yeah, yeah. 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 We flew in and out of New Orleans. Uh, I was, uh, I was on a plane from Dallas, and then, uh, you know, the they do the whole, you know, we're, we're we're coming in. Well, please buckle your safety belts, blah blah blah. And then everybody started shouting and screaming and being, you know, <laughs> starting a party. And I was like, what's <laughs> I was busy creating papers. And I was like, "What's, what's going on?" And the guy next to me was like, "Yeah, we're it's about to be like a weekend long party, guy." And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah we we went up, up went up to Natchez, Mississippi. Um, I posted on the uh, on our movie page. One of our our very good friends that we met um, while filming this passed away from cancer. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That's. Gilbert Price. Um, so we went and we went and attended her funeral, and uh, it was very nice. Um, I mean, would prefer not to have attended yeah. a funeral, but um, yeah, uh, was, you know, there, yeah, there's no there's no flights directly into Natchez, so it's like, where are we going to go through? And we're like, oh, you know, New Orleans is cool. Let's fly through New Orleans. Uh, we know someone filming a movie down there. Maybe we can, uh, but they have to stay in a COVID bubble. Oh, okay. We joked like, hey, you know, you need to send a production assistant out to go get you like some beignets or something. <laughs> or uh, And so then we're like, oh, we'll just go through there and we'll joke around that we'll, you know, sneak th some through the fence or something. <laughs> uh, Got to be a hole in the fence. We're like, okay, we'll just go through there. Will it work out to see her? Probably not. Um, but um so I went and I booked and I was like, all right, we're going to go to Natchez. We're going to come back. We're going to have one night left. Why don't we just get a hotel near Bourbon Street? Like, whatever, we'll go, we'll go do the thing for one night. And uh, I was like, wow, these hotels are really expensive and there's not many left. Um, and uh, so I picked one and that's when my wife's like, you know, it's Mardi Gras, right? I'm like, uh, I was today years old when I learned that. <laughs> So, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not seeing that post. Um, but we can take a second to talk. You are working. You, you, you said you work at a museum. Um, yeah. Let's give a, a shout out for for people on the the East Coast. Or what is it that you you do now to to spend your day? Uh, 
I'm a, my wife and I are both, I'm a docent at the, the new museum. It's only been open, uh, we opened for the 20th of November of 20, no, we, we opened in November of 2020, Veterans Day. Okay. And right after the first part of December, we had to close. So what a time to be a new business in America. Yeah, it was. <laughs> It was supposed to open in June of 2020, and then things eased up enough that by November they thought they'd give it a shot. And like I said, they were, we were open till till uh, December. Then opened again in 20, I think June of uh, 21. We opened up again, and we're still been we're open of course now we can take our mask off because the state of the union's over yeah um and that's the museum of the army or, or what's the museum that's the national museum of the united states army yeah okay very yeah. cool yeah so and the, it's i mean i was never a, a real history buff so i learn every day and i mean i, I learned a lot from visitors that are come on there uh or come in there you know from most of them are Vietnam, few, few Korea, Vietnam, and, and stuff like that. But uh, one guy, one old guy I met was 105 years old. Wow. He served five campaigns in the army. His first one being on a horse. He was a horse soldier. Wow. Um, he was amazing. Skinny, cute little guy in a wheelchair. Yeah. And another guy that was in his, he was, I think, 95 served with Patton and in, in Europe but uh, it's it's pretty it's cool we only work we have to do nine hours a month to remain active and my wife just retired three years ago so I got her doing something she's not a docent but she she works in uh, welcome desk and and different things fun uh, it's it's so cool to hear the stories, you know, especially World War II vets. They're few and far between. Yep. But I even think back, you know, to school learning, learning about the Tet Offensive and learning about Quezon and reading about it. And that's mm -hmm. the best I can do. And, you know, you got to trust your sources. But then meeting someone like Ed Beale, who was there during the Tet Offensive and was one of the first people to walk into Quezon after they had had liberated it, you know, broken the siege. And there's nothing that compares to, I read about history, you know, these are people who have seen history, um, which is yeah. just such another reason to get out there and be sharing stories and listening. Wayne told me uh, you worked with Craig, right? I did. We yeah. were- uh, and that's we how were it all customer. started? Yeah, I- um, before I joined customs, I was a guard at the federal building downtown and Craig would come through um, a lot because he worked in our evidence vault and the evidence vault is separate from, from the office. So we'd walk through for morning round. So I kind of met Craig that way. And then I got hired by customs. And of course he was one of the first okay. to congratulate me. Um, and then um, we just kind of kept up. Like I became the head of our team that would bring evidence to the vault so we kind of sit around and shoot the breeze and then after my daughters were born I took a job at the vault the, one of the people's retiring so I took her position left being an officer because it was Monday through Friday eight to four and mm. I had two brand new babies at home and that sounded pretty good to me yeah so we were partners for a couple of years until I realized, man, if I don't take this promotion to supervisor, someone I hate is going to take it and I'll have to answer to them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time with Craig. He kind of helped nurture Dust and I when we started writing and, and mentored us. And um, when we made one of our short films, uh, he's been in two of our short films. And then one of them we took on the um, festival circuit. And one of the last festivals for Happy Birthday, Dad, was um, it uh, held at uh, Central Washington University, about uh, two hours from Seattle. And so I told Dustin, like, you know what, I'll just take Craig to this. He's in the movie. Like, we were both super burnt out. We and we had two because the one in Santa Fe was the same. Yeah. Thing, so, so I took Craig to that and I took my sister to Santa Fe. 
Yeah, because <laughs> Dustin's in New Mexico. And so we're driving out there and we're kind of chatting. And it, it was funny to me because it showed me how burnt out I was from festivals because you check in, they're like, oh, you know, here's everyone's got swag. And I'm like, I've got 10 t-shirts from festivals. But Craig was like, I can we can we can just have this and they're like yes you're a filmmaker he's like and i can have a hat too yeah you're a filmmaker you're like <laughs> no welcome we welcome you and and so he you know and then we had the question and answer and he was loving it and i was kind of like yes i have 10 t-shirts so that that was cool to see but then was we're driving back home craig started telling me more stories from vietnam and mm -hmm. i heard a lot of them because we we're partners but something <laughs> was different that day and I called up Dustin when I got home and I was like, I know what we're doing next. And so that trip to, to central Washington was the genesis of this movie, which became the genesis of this podcast, hmm. all because we were in a car for two hours. Cool. So, um, so yeah, it started with Craig and then um, he started contacting guys from the unit. Dwayne was, was one of them. And you know they just happened to be these cbs guys and then um the cbs footage of when they got shot when we first started it had only been viewed like three thousand times oh, and then wow. a, a couple major military pages picked it up and ran it who had millions of followers and suddenly i think it's up to 22 million yeah. views now or something yeah, um yeah well, ken, ken burns used that didn't he in his um yeah. yeah, yeah, we we pooped a brick when when Ken Burns was going to do this big Vietnam thing because we yeah. know all those guys are alive, right? So we're like, okay, he's going to come in here and, and elbow us out. We're boned, and he never yeah. talked to any of them. Blue, uh, uh, what? <laughs> Craig likes to say that he's been shot. You know that that video has been used so many times as background footage. Like you need to talk to Vietnam. They go take that footage. He's like. Yeah. I've been shot as uh, in the army, in the Marines, in every single year of the country, in every single section of the country. <laughs> oh, someone's been shot. Let's pull up this footage. Yeah. Um, his daughter was in class one day and they're like, here's some footage. And then there's her dad getting shot. Um, he, they used that in the movie For the Boys with Bette Midler. Uh, he wow. has not received any money from that. That all yeah. went straight to CBS. Um, but yeah, he... he he thinks that he should have about a million purple hearts now for the amount of times that footage has been run. And apparently mm. we're the first people to ever sit down and say, Hey, why don't you tell us your side of the story? Yeah, well. <laughs> that reminds me of, um, I mean, this is an army, but uh, my dad is a world war two veteran. His, he was a machine gunner in, in world war two. And uh, my memories of growing up with him was uh, Saturday nights. He'd be sitting in his, chair watching gun smoke and we would take bobby pins and pop the shrapnel out of his legs it'd be working its way anyway <clears throat> the, when he got out of the marines the the doctor told him that he wouldn't live past 37 because of the shrapnel that it would work its way to his heart he turned 37 on the 11th of june and died on the first of july and he had this marine corps book that was like about an inch thick. He was in the first Marine Division. And my mom, once we all got grown up, there were six of us, she showed us this picture and she said, that's your dad in the middle of that beach. It was like a half, half page spread. So many, many years later, my nephew was doing an article on, um, on Vietnam and he got the American Heritage World World history of World War II, and he opened it up, and it was that picture was on the the two pages in the center of it. So, a buddy of mine was out here who was a Marine, and I took him down to the Marine Corps Museum, and we were looking around there, and I told him that story, and I said, if I see Dad's picture in here, I'll die. And we walked in, and sure enough, there it was on the wall. So. He, is talking about you know so many people have seen it yeah but, uh, that's so cool for that to be a generational thing that's yeah. you know, found more and more the more people we talk to the more and more it comes out that it's really a you know, the armed services in america really is generational 
Yeah. And my dad never talked. Well, I was I was 12 years old when he died. But right. He never talked to. Uh, he never said one thing about his service. One of his buddies came once while he was still alive, and I'm sure they were talking about it. But all I never knew was that he was in the Marines. But and then, oh, that same picture shows that the the Battle of Bloody Nose Ridge is is what it was, and that's on Wikipedia. Yeah. That that picture for so you can you can find it. Google Bloody Blood, Battle of Bloody Nose Ridge on the Wikipedia. My dad's the guy in the middle of the picture. Writing it down right now. He's turning, he's got his head turned, he's in his foxhole and he's turning looking at the camera. <laughs> you want a good smile? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say, nah, that's not him. How do you know it's you're just saying that? And they go, Well, you don't know what he looked like, but I do, and that's him. <laughs> yeah. It's like I do you know what my dad looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I seen him like second person i ever saw maybe fourth <laughs> so um you know talking about your dad never talking about it and how you you know even though we were next to Dwayne for all those years but didn't talk about it until 2019 you know part of the reason of as we're trying to bring the story that we've learned out into the open but also cross generation you know our veterans uh, in the movie like to say they want to be a 50 year head start for other veterans. Don't wait mm -hmm. 50 years like we did. Um, for you, like, do you have any advice to, you know, maybe someone who's just getting out or someone who just got back from deployment or, you know, or another Vietnam veteran? Um, do you have any advice, you know, for them in terms of, of you know, looking back at this or? Uh, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, like I said, I, <clears throat> I think. Any, well, my MOS, that medical MOS that I had, this guy that I told you that I thought got killed, he works for the VA now. And he said that um, I should have, I probably had PTSD. I never talked to anybody about it. Um, after I talked with him and, you know, and talking with Dwayne and all those guys, and I went and I talked to the psychiatrist. I mean, like I said, I was I was probably quote unquote under the weather for two or three months before I went back to work. And then pretty much under the weather ever since. My first marriage lasted like 15 years. And that probably was was the cause of it. Um, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, psychiatrist, but anyway, I went to a psychiatrist and they said I'm can't remember what it's called now, but it's right under whatever is right the level right under PTSD. Um, I don't have nightmares and things like that. I have an occasional dream, but any of my feelings I've been able to handle. I mean, I quit drinking 30, 30 some odd years ago, um, 80, 84, so however, however many years that is. Um, so I kind of dealt with it by myself without any help from anybody else. I think I was a fortunate one to be able to do that. Um, so I can't really give a whole lot of advice other than the fact that um, if you have any inclination that you have a problem, talk to somebody. Um, you know, you didn't ask to be in the war. I mean, in, in a way you did because you joined, but you were doing, you were fighting for your country. So, I mean, you're, you're owed a lot, you know, and, and I've seen so many that are, that are turned down just for, for different things. Um, one of my best, best buddies that was worked in the pre-op, I mean, he saw the guys coming off the chopper and he has PTSD really bad. Yeah. And his wife stuck with him throughout it all. It's a childhood sweetheart story. And um, he's so far, he's managed to, to hold it off. But you got to, for the most part, you need somebody to help you with it. So open your mouth and, you know, say something to somebody. Yeah, it could be, you know, anyone, yeah. wife, friend, um, doctor, um, 
another veteran, I mean, veterans are probably talking to other, to younger veterans are, are probably one of the, one of the best um, solutions. I mean, just in, in being at the, at the, the museum, the reaction that we get from veterans of the current, you know, and I usually work, when I'm not roving, I will I'll work in the, uh, the Vietnam gallery. And next door is the Changing World Gallery. Yeah. And a lot of the soldiers of this, I can't shut that off. Uh, soldiers of the current wars and skirmishes now, you know, the feeling that they have toward most of us docents are Vietnam veterans. Yeah. And, you know, the respect that they show us, you know, I mean, I, they're feeling like we didn't get the respect when we came home. And, and uh, so, I mean, they, they listen to us. I mean, if you, if you can talk to a Vietnam bet, it's probably a, yep. a good bet. Well, I saw a thing that said uh, the best thing an old soldier can teach a young soldier, and in this case, an old veteran can teach a young veteran, is how to become an old veteran. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. So, yeah, yeah um, and, and it does come down to you know talk, and 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 I'll from the other side of this is someone who has had these talks with people it's you know all you gotta do is listen you don't have to solve yeah. anything you don't have to come up with great ideas you know just let them tell their story be like you know yeah. cool i'm i'm super glad i got to learn that and so dustin for you jim thanks so much for hanging out with us today yeah it's uh, good to meet you guys yeah you too. Yeah. We've we've seen you on our Facebook page a lot, and so it's, yeah, it's nice to put a face to your name. Yep, and and great to hear your story. Uh, for our audience, thank you for being with us today. Um, you know, give us a give us a like wherever you're listening to this: Apple, Spotify, Podbean. Uh, give us a like, a follow, tell your friends. Uh, you know, my joke every week: tell your enemies. I don't care <laughs> as long as they listen. <laughs> so um but thank you so much okay um, i'm gonna go ahead and uh, do my zoom face as i look for the end recording button dustin your last chance for a pithy joke i don't have uh, any left good because i was gonna cut you off when i edit this just for uh <laughs> you've been listening to the know their story podcast if you made it this far we must be doing something right let us know by subscribing to our channel and think about sitting down with the veterans in your life because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.